No, we've already begun. Genesis chapter 10. I already said, come on, Brother Viscom. Uh, all right, Genesis chapter 10 is where we are, uh, if you would. Genesis chapter 10, and of course, last couple of weeks we've talked about Noah and the flood, and uh, they have gotten off the ark, and time moves forward, of course, uh, and in Genesis chapter 10, you have uh, some lineage given, and one of those places, we're not going to read all of it, but uh, we'll go ahead and pick up uh, verse number 8. Uh, he says, And Cush begat Nimrod, he being a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore it is said, And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And Eric and Akkad and Kelna in the land of Shinar. Now, uh, of course, we know where this is going to go, and we're going to kind of get into that in just a moment. Uh, but this will be where the entirety of the world, as we uh, would have had, uh, is united. You get to chapter 11 and verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there, and of course, uh, they're going to go ahead, and we'll read that here shortly, but uh, they're going to go ahead and build a tower. And so here they are, they're trying to get into unity, and uh, oftentimes, isn't that, isn't that the way that the world is today? Uh, the idea is, well, can't we all just get together, and can't we all just be together, and can't we all, why can't we all just get along, and you just forget all of your standards and all the things you would possibly want us to believe in, and why can't you just go along with the rest of us? And that's the world's mentality. The world's mentality is, uh, we want to do what we want to do, and let's all do it together. And we're going to get into that here in a little bit. But uh, the truth is, mankind in his own pride and his own arrogance and his own ignorance goes ahead and tries to build some things that uh, he, he has no business building, he has no business being a part of, he has no business uh, doing, and uh, all for the sake of unity, all for the sake of can't we get along. And the truth is that uh, all unity is not good unity. Uh, if you unify in the wrong cause, you're not unified in the right thing, and God will have to bring judgment. And that's ultimately the lesson uh, of Babel, the Tower of Babel that we're going to get into here this morning. And as you look at this, although unity occurs, uh, it is not unity with God. It's unity ultimately against God and to do it man's way. And so God has to bring judgment and he has to go ahead and, and do what he does here in the chapters that we'll be dealing with. Uh, but uh, of course, uh, Genesis chapter 10 is where we'll start and we'll be talking much about what uh, God is going to do here and what the circumstances are uh, here on the earth. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and we'll, we'll get started this morning. Father, we thank you for the day and thank you that you are wonderful to us and your mercies endure forever. And Father, we thank you that uh, once again you've been gracious to us and allowed us to be here this morning. I pray that you would grant us wisdom. Lord, help us as we open the Bible and we turn the pages and we look at some things that you would bring uh, everything back into remembrance that we need, but also, Father, that you would help us to learn some things this morning or maybe take some note of some things and speak to our hearts. Father, that we may uh, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what you'd want us to do today. Father, we pray that you'd be with Pastor Legault, be with the Sunday school teachers this morning, that everything that is said and done today, Father, through the song service and through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, that everything would be done to the praise, honor, and glory of our Savior. And once again, we pray you'd come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we are in Genesis chapter 10, and 
chapter 11 is where we'll be this morning, chapter 10 and 11. And in chapter 10, we get a man that shows up and ultimately he's, he's the leader here in the land of Shinar. Uh, we mentioned Babel. That is where he starts. And in Genesis chapter 10, verse number 8, 9, and 10, you find out about a man by the name of Nimrod. Uh, Nimrod, he is the king, and his kingdom uh, began at Babel. And so that is, that is who he is. Uh, he is the king at the time. Nimrod is the grandson of Ham. Uh, as you look down, verse number six, uh, Ham, then Cush, and then Cush begat Nimrod. So uh, he is Ham's grandson. And so uh, we know the lineage that he has. Uh, he is from a cursed family, Genesis chapter 9. Uh, right, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Uh, and so Ham uh, is part of that lineage, uh, is the father there. And ultimately, he's part of this cursed line that shows up. Uh, Nimrod's name means rebel. That's who he is. He's a rebel. Uh, he's rebellious. And uh, he goes against God, and rebelliousness against God goes ahead and makes it so he can make a name for himself. And he goes ahead, and he's a mighty hunter before the Lord, and uh, he, goes, he goes out to do what he wants to do. Uh, originally, tradition tells us that Nimrod uh, not only hunted for animals, but he also hunted for men. Now, uh, that's, that's just the way it was, uh, as, as tradition goes. Uh, he's the founder of and king of the first Gentile kingdom, ultimately Babylon. Uh, he organizes, he's the leader there in chapter 11 for the Tower of Babel. Uh, this is just who Nimrod is. He's this king uh, that has come, he's made himself great. He's, he's hunting both men and beasts, uh, and he's a mighty hunter. He sets up site, which would be uh, Babylon is in Shinar, that's Mesopotamia. Uh, if you were to look at a map today, obviously, uh, you'd be in present-day Iraq, there over in the Mesopotamian Valley, and that's where he would be. That's where, that's where his kingdom was. That's where Babylon is. Uh, Nimrod reminds us, ultimately, uh, of a future event. We know types and typologies throughout the Old Testament that show up to the new and tell us what's happening. Uh, we talked about Enoch being a great type of the church and the raptured church, especially. Uh, but here we have uh, Nimrod, and Nimrod reminds us of the Antichrist who shows up. He's a rebel. Uh, he goes against God, uh, and he unites a world uh, and puts them all together to go ahead and make their own way to get to God and to get uh, up into heaven. Uh, he goes ahead and unites the world through a Babylonian religious practices. You get to Revelation chapters 13 and 17, and I don't have time to cover all this, so we won't. Uh, but you read through those two chapters on, on the way that worship works and idolatry and the, and the setup and the way that it goes. Uh, it's Babylonian worship all over again. Uh, it's the way Babylon works. It's the way uh, ultimately you get into some things, and I won't get into uh, too much with it, but it lays the foundation for all the pagan religions that you have on the face of the earth. Uh, it all starts from a Babylonian religion. Uh, and it's, it's the idolatry, it's all the pieces that they put together. Uh, it's, uh, it's, of course, the queen of heaven that shows up. We'll get into that. Uh, it, gets, it gets into all those pieces. And all those pieces are piled together uh, as the Babylonian religion starts. And that's what Nimrod's setting up. He's setting up a false god and a false worship and a false uh, organization to go ahead and make it built upon the pride of man to go ahead and have what he wants. 
And so we see that, and we'll see that here in chapter 11. So this is Nimrod, and Nimrod's the rebel. He's the one who's going to be the king here in Babylon, ultimately. And uh, he's the one who's organizing. And you get to chapter 11, and we read a couple of these, but we'll read verses 1 through 4 here and talk a little bit about what they're doing. Uh, Genesis chapter 11 and verse 1, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. Uh, and they had, uh, they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach onto heaven. And let us make uh, us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So here they are, and notice it's uh, let us. They're united ultimately against God in one language and one uh, in one movement right here, and it's a let us moment. Let us do these things. We've got it. Uh, we've got it all together. It's man's pride and man's arrogance, uh, and they're following one man. One man's answer is, well, let us do this. Uh, the, king, the king wants it, and so they're going to go ahead. One man, and he's going to lead them contrary to what God wants. We'll find that out here in the rest of the chapter, right? Judgment of God shows up. Uh, he's leading them in the wrong direction. And they're rebelling against God's command ultimately to replenish the earth. Isn't that the command in Genesis chapter 9 and verse number 1? Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Well, they don't want to leave where they are. They say, well, we're going to make a great name right here. We're going to stay here. We're not going to move anywhere. Uh, well, that means you're not replenishing the earth. You're staying in one spot. You're not going Uh Ultimately, you get into the New Testament, and he told the disciples to go ahead. He tells the apostles, go out and, uh, and go into all the world. And what did they want to do? Well, they wanted to stay at Jerusalem. And the Lord had to bring something in to scatter them and move them out so that they would fulfill what he commanded them to do. Uh, the nation here, they're looking to stay together, and they're looking to stay in, in Babel. And they're looking to stay right where they are on the plain of Shinar, and they don't want to go out and do what God commanded them to do. They're rebelling. And so because of that, they've decided that instead they want to magnify their own name instead of God's name. Let us make a name. They want a name. They want to be famous. They want to have something that will last and be all about them. When the truth is that it's nothing about us. Uh, it's, it's about God and his name. And they don't want to deal with that. So instead, it's uh, we want to make us a name. Let us make us a name in verse number four. That, that's what they, they want a name. They want everybody to know who they are and how great they are. They want to magnify themselves in their own name as opposed to God. They want to build their own way. Let us make a tower. Let us build a city, us a city and a tower whose top may reach on to heaven. They want to reach heaven How? By our way, I'm going to make it. I'm going to do it. That's religion. That's the world's mentality. That's uh, what they want to do. And the truth is, it's all built upon pride. Let us. No mention of God. No mention of his command. No mention of him directing or guiding or anything else. It is all let us do what we want to do so we can be great. We can make a name for ourselves. We can build us a city. We can build us a tower. We can get to heaven the way that we want to build and how we want to build it. And it's going to be amazing because we are amazing. 
That's the mentality. Isn't that the world's mentality right now? We can do it because we're great. We're going to bring peace without the Prince of Peace. We're going to go ahead and we're going to have everybody just get together. Let's unite. Let's unite the nations. Amen. Let's unite the nations and go ahead and we're going to get everybody together so that we can go ahead and everything's going to be much better if we could just get everybody together. That's the Antichrist. Let's put us all in a one world government and a one world order and everybody puts it together and everybody shares and everything's going to be great. We can manufacture peace. You can't manufacture peace. You haven't been able to do it. There's more wars since you started the United Nations than at any other time on the planet. You can't keep peace at all. Well, we'll go ahead. We'll, we'll make the League of Nations. Yeah, that didn't work. Okay, we'll, we'll change it to the United Nations. That'll be better. Didn't work. Over and over again, you know what you have? You have an entire world who wants what they want, so they fight their own way. And they want what they want as opposed to what God wants, and so they don't have peace. And you can't have peace without him, and you can't get to heaven without him, and you can't do any, any of the greatness that they want to go ahead and try and get. You know what they have? They have nothing. Because they're always trying it their way. And God's going to bring it to naught, and he's going to destroy it. And mankind's efforts are completely and utterly failing to do any of the things that they wanted to do here in Genesis chapter 11. And for some reason, the world still thinks they can do it. Anyways, I'll keep going. Get all fired up. Uh, they go ahead and they're going to build a tower. Build a tower. Now, uh, more than likely, uh, it's a tower very similar to the idea of the pyramids, very similar to the ones that you see in Mayan temples and those things where they're built in the, uh, uh, the ziggurats and those, they, they build up and they come up to a tower and it's, it's like a pyramid shape. It's coming up so that they can get to heaven. Uh, the idea is to, to go ahead and, and whatever it was, uh, most of them were built for pagan practices. They were built for astrological observations. They were built so that they could see all those things. I am not going to get into the pyramids this morning, although I could. That would be fun. I am not. You should study those. Uh, if you'd like, you can. If I had another like four days to teach this, I would do it, uh, but I don't. Uh, maybe I'll do that later, but uh, at some point. But the truth is, uh, the pyramids were designed particularly to see certain things. Uh, and the way you are in Babylon, uh, they were probably building something exactly similar to that in order to build what they wanted to to reach onto heaven because they felt they could get there. And interestingly enough, the stars are likened to angels and they're called stars and all those things. And I won't get into all of that either, but the truth is that puts you in a spiritual world. And what are they trying to do? We're going to reach on to heaven. We're going to reach back to get to what we used to have. Well, that's the giants that left their first estate. That's, that's the sons of the giants. That's the sons of the angels, the sons of God that looked upon the daughters of men. And by the way, after this, you end up with giants later. You still have them. Well, then the lineage is somewhere in there, and some of that's still going on, and I won't get into all that either. I don't know. I just keep skipping over some stuff because it's all in there and I can't touch all of it because if I do, we're never going to be done, Brother Viscom. 
But if you have any questions about that, you can ask Pastor Legault. And he'll gladly, he'll talk to you all about the pyramids and all about the, the giants still being here and all that and how they, how they probably got through. Okay, um, so we're going to move on. Uh, they, were they thought they were probably uh, in closer proximity or con to be able to contact spiritual powers in heavenly places. They're looking, they're looking to get into a spiritual realm and uh, they figure, well, if we build a tower and we can get into the stars and we can do these things, maybe we can get somewhere and perhaps some demonic God would be able to step down to them and meet with them and commune with them. That's the idea of those, of those uh, pyramids and the towers that they were building. They thought this tower, maybe they thought the tower would protect them from a flood. They didn't understand God wasn't going to do that again. They were possibly trying to figure out how to get around what God commands them to do. Uh, ultimately, ultimately, all these pyramids, you see them, they're all, it's amazing how the design is so similar all the way around the world. Isn't that amazing? You got... You just look at, you look at a Mayan temple and then you go across the world and, and you get into Indonesia and, and Thailand and those, and they're the same, everything's the same. Well, what were they doing? They were building it after something and it was a tower to reach onto heaven. And anyways, I won't get into too far, but that's the, that's the idea. The idea is, can I get to God by building up and get to him my own way? And mankind is still trying to do it. Only this time they're using rocket ships. But, uh, well, I can reach. I can do. Okay. Yep. And they're building and they're building and they're trying to reach and they can't attain. They will never attain. Not by their own merit. And not by their own might. Uh, man's efforts to get to heaven, ultimately, notice what it is. It's bricks and it's slime. How do you like that? That's man's attempt to get to God. Doesn't that sound, doesn't that sound amazing? Uh, what is it? Bricks and slime. You know what they can't do? They can't hold it together right. All their righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Uh, they don't have it. Isaiah 64, 6. They don't have it. They don't have anything that can reach. It's, it's a mess. And they go, well, we can do it our own way. No, there's none righteous. No, not one. Uh, you can't do it. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves. You don't get a relationship with God based upon how great of a tower you get to build. You won't make it. Notice they build a city and a tower. Amazingly enough, in there a city... That goes along with the worship in the tribulation. Babylon the Great. There it is. Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Whoops. <laughs> and here they are. And it started all the way back in Genesis chapter 11. With them building. And them trying to make a city. And make a tower, and try to, and that whole order has already started. By the time you get to Genesis chapter eleven, mankind is already putting it in place, trying to get to God their own way. And a type of the Antichrist takes over the rebel Nimrod, and he goes in and he's trying to make something that will last forever, that'll make his name great, so that he can have a spiritual connection that he could build himself. 
The word Babel uh, means the gate of God. Gate of God. That's what they want. They believe they had to get a key to get into heaven and they had the gates right there. That's what they were doing. Let me get to God. The Babylonian religion is built around, of course, a woman, the queen, and it's a mother and her child. How do you like that? Babylonian religion. Uh, that's why they bake cakes later onto the queen of heaven. I won't get into Catholicism, but you already know the references. Uh, that shows up as well over in uh, Muslim religions. That shows up over in, and you can just keep going down the list. And it shows up over and over and over and over and over again. You say, well, don't we, I mean, we're at Christmas time, and we're going to talk about Mary, and we're going to talk about the baby Jesus, and it's a mother and child. Yeah, it's a ripoff, isn't it? It is amazing to me how many times the devil tries to counterfeit and never gets it right, but everybody's fit, fooled by it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and, and I'm going uh, to make the Antichrist. I'm going to make a false Christ, and the world's going to accept him. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make false religion so that mankind thinks they can attain unto God. I'm going to go ahead and make a fake book, and I'm going to make it so that everybody believes it, so that they can go ahead and I can get them to forget what God actually said. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to change the truth of God into a lie so that they worship and serve the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. I'm going to go ahead and... Oh, they want a lamb? I'll go ahead and I'll die. They want a lion? I'm a roaring lion walking about singing whom I may devour. They want a Savior? I'll act like I'm a Savior. They want a shepherd, I'll be the idle shepherd. They want a king, well, I'll be the prince. Mm -hmm. That's what he does. He does it over and over again. And mankind thinks, well, you know, it's just, can't we all just get along? Don't we all believe in the same God anyways? Isn't it all the same? Well, no, it's not the same. It's not at all the same. They're not at all the same. You can try and act like they're similar, but it's not. It's not the same. He's not the same God that they serve. He's not the same one that they worship. It's not the same uh, child. It's not the same God. It's not the same heaven. It's not the same anything. It is all based upon their way and their want and their desire, and they come up with a concept of what they want, and that's what they go after. The sad truth is that Christians do the exact same thing. They have a concept of who they want God to be. They have a concept of who they want Jesus to be. They want a concept of this and that. And they go, that is what we have, and so that is what I'm going for. And they don't base it upon a Bible. They don't base it upon the truth. They go ahead and they have a concept. Well, Jesus is love. God is love, and so everybody has to love. So we have to unite, and we have to bring ecumenical everything and get everybody together so that we can unite. Why you got to talk about doctrine? Because doctrine divides. Well, I don't like to divide. Well, you need to divide. Because if you don't rightly divide, you're in trouble. (laughs) If you don't put a division in there, you end up with everybody else doing all the things that they do. I was just talking to some friends of mine, and I'm going to have to move on quick here in just a second, but I was talking to some friends of mine. You know what they've got in their, in their area? A pastor friend of mine over in Ohio, he goes, uh, yeah, we got all these microbreweries that are popping up all over the place. 
and they act like they're something special, you know. And uh, he goes, I'm dealing with church members now, posting on Facebook. They're at the microbrewery having a burger. And he's like, what are we doing? And it's no division between the profane and the holy. Well, I mean, it's a special, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a fancier place. So we, No, it's not. It's a dressed up bar. That's what it is. And the Christian had no business going in there. But they'll put it on Facebook because we went to the microbrewery because it sounds a whole lot fancier. And it's just the same garbage. They just redressed it and you bought into it. Good job. But that's not the way it's supposed to go. And the Christian gets into that. And you know what they did? Well, you know, it's just, I mean, it's okay. Uh, you know, we just, we, we think the Lord loves everybody. And so my friends were going. And my friends go down to that church over there. And, and they don't have any standards over there, but we do. And, but, you know, we set them aside because we want to just get along with everybody. And that's the way, that's the way it'll go. Unity against God always brings judgment. Well, God wants unity. He wants unity with him. You can stand in unity all you like. All the nations of the world are going to unite. They are. They're all going to be on the same page. And they're all going to go up against one king. And he's going to be sitting on a throne in Jerusalem and his name is Jesus. They'll unite that day. Is that a good thing? Well, no. No, in fact, that ends with a big giant, you know, fire and him melting the elements and destroying an entire universe because mankind has rejected him as God. But unity. <laughs> People act like unity is supposed to be this amazing thing, and it is if it's the right unity. How good and how pleasant it is that brethren dwell together in unity. That's a good unity. It's the brethren, and it's a church, and it's a community of believers that are in unity with their God. It is not the unity of, well, let's just forget about all the things God told us to do or not do, and let's go ahead and unify and act like everything's okay. That is not unity. That's compromise, and that's not going to work. Because God has to bring judgment. Look what he does here in verse number 5. I got to hurry up because I got on that right there. See, that, Brother Viscom, that's why I couldn't cover all those other ones, you know. Uh, Genesis 11, in verse number 5, he says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down. <laughs> Whoops. I'll get back to that in a second. Um, and, there, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth. And they left off to build, the, to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And so God goes ahead and uh, he sees everything. Uh, the Lord always sees everything. Uh, you know, he makes the statement, let, let us go down. Or they come down and, and see it. But he's already seen it. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Uh, 
everything, everything is manifest to him. He knows every bit of it. Uh, he knows everything that's happening. You say, what's he doing? It's very similar to the idea of back there in Genesis chapter 6, where they come down and the Lord steps down to look on it himself. As if to go, uh, we're going we're gonna to show up here and I'm going to make uh, absolute proof of what I'm about to say right here. And he steps down. It's as if, you know, he sees everything, but now he's taking notice of this and he's going to go deal with it. Now, part of that is that uh, he gets the idea of, uh, like in Revelation uh, chapter 2, he gives that woman, he gives that woman Jezebel, he says, and he gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. The Lord always gives space for someone to repent and to get it right. And the Lord's watching them work and he's watching them build. Now he could have stopped this day one, couldn't he? The Lord been like, all right, well, I already know what they're going to do. I'm going to come down there. I'm going to stop this. But he doesn't. Instead, he waits. So what does he wait for? He waits for good men to do something. He waits for someone to go, this isn't what we ought to do, and get in there and stop Nimrod from doing what he's doing. But man doesn't do it. And so God intervenes right here. And he intervenes because he refuses to let it go that direction because it'll, it'll go against the plan that he has. And so he decides to interrupt after he has decided that he's done letting it continue. Uh, this is the times where uh, you think about what God does. and You go, well, why doesn't God intervene all the time? Uh, he doesn't intervene all the time because it's not the fullness of time. We're at Christmas, so I'll tie this into Christmas real quick, right? Uh, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, that he might redeem them that were under the law. Well, why does he do that when the fullness of time? Why didn't he do that in Genesis chapter 4? Why didn't he just pay for all a man's sins right after Adam and Eve fall? Oh, it wasn't the fullness of time yet. He hadn't, he hadn't accomplished the plan. He's got a bigger plan than everybody else. And so as he looks over the plan, he's waiting for the right time to fulfill his plan, not to fulfill yours or mine. And so he's waiting. And so right here, he's still waiting. He's waiting to see if someone will repent. They don't repent. He goes, okay, I'll bust that one up. Why does, he, why does he go ahead and allow certain things and then come in and step in? Well, he lets the children of Israel go a certain time, and then he goes, well, I'm going to send in Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. God busted it up. He did what he does. It's when he wants to. When he understands that judgment must come, he brings judgment. He had the opportunity to go ahead and get involved because mankind doesn't go ahead and repent. He gets involved, and now he steps in. And in contrast, he goes ahead and says, all right, well, let us go down. They say, let us build. He says, well, let us go down. <laughs> well, let us, let us build this tower. You know what it reminds me of? Reminds me of Isaiah chapter 14. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. That Lord shows up in Ezekiel chapter 28 and he reminds the devil, I will, I will, I will, I will. And you are done. I will. It's amazing how the Lord always seems to answer the way that a lost wicked man does. The lost wicked man says, I'm going to do this and rises up in his pride and God says, I'm God though, so I'm going to. And the wicked man never prevails. When the Lord decides he's done, he's done. And there isn't one person that will ever stop him. His statement is, let us. A reference to the Godhead, of course, the Trinity. The Godhead comes down, they look, and they're going to decide what to do. In order to go up, 
and get into heaven, by the way, you have to first come down in humility. Mankind missed the first step. You want to get anywhere with God, you know where it is? It's humility. That's the only way to do it. Mankind goes, we're going to do this. And God says, nope, missed the first step. First step is that he giveth grace to the humble. First step is, I got to humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. It's humility, understanding God, I don't deserve to be in your presence. That's the humility. The humility is, I'm just like everybody else on this planet and unworthy of stepping into the glories of heaven and actually attaining anything that you have. The only thing that actually made it up to heaven for them was the fact that they were sitting and God knew it. The evil report came up. That was all that made it. They didn't make it, but the report of their deeds did. And God goes ahead and he confounds their languages so they can't understand each other. And it's God being merciful to them. That's God's mercy. You see God's mercy when he doesn't allow you to continue in the direction you were going. Because it was going to ruin you. God's merciful to the people on the planet. You know what he does? Uh, there's nothing that would be restrained from them. Well, we already know what, would, what they would want. You go back to Genesis chapter 6 and you know what they want. The imagination of his heart was only evil continually. Well, yeah, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah, but mankind is still wicked. They're still sinful. Noah may have found grace in the eyes of the Lord and he may have preserved him and his children, but mankind is still mankind. The sin nature is still there. Naturally, man is sinful. They made that choice in Genesis chapter 3. They took of the fruit. They ate the fruit. Adam and Eve fell. And from there, all of mankind, the idea that man is going to get better and better and build and be amazing is so false and so wicked because mankind doesn't know how to be better. Outside of someone intervening, Jesus Christ intervening, you and I will continue on the same course and you and I would be just as wicked as everybody else. And the thoughts, and you know it just as well as I do, if you let your thoughts start to wander, you know exactly where they go and how terrible you could be. And that's the imagination of the heart. Well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Eventually you'll do what you're thinking. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Say, what stops us? The Holy Ghost. The fact that you've got a Savior. That's what keeps you from doing those things. The love of Christ constraineth us. And he intervenes and makes it so you and I don't be as dumb as some people. <laughs> and some days we are as dumb as some other people and we go, Lord, forgive me because I'm, I'm, being, I'm being stupid. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that and I know I shouldn't have been thinking that way and I know I shouldn't have had those things and all that. And you say, why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, you and I are, are <laughs> you go, well, no, I got it all together. Well, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's a, that's a lost man, but that's you and I outside of Jesus Christ and his influence. We stay in the word of God and we try to have the word of God in our lives and we try to live by it and we try to do those things. Why? So that we don't live like the wicked man. So that we don't have to have God intervene in his mercy and go ahead and smack us and, and give us the chasing that we deserve. We try to stay out of that side. Why? Because we understand the judgment of God must be. It's got to come. 
and the people of the world, God interrupts, confounds their languages in his mercy so that they stop doing and stop going the direction they were going because they are evil ultimately would be accelerated to no end. And mankind would be evil continually and they would fulfill. The word babel now is associated with babbling and confusion. That's what we think of when we think of Babel. Oh, he's just babbling on. Maybe you think that this morning already. Maybe you'll think about that in about an hour when pastor's preaching, or maybe you'll think of it tonight when I am again. Uh, but we babble on. <laughs> and we babble on and we babble on, and there it is. And the Lord confounds them. He confuses them and he does that so that they will no longer, they will no longer be able to stay together the way that they were. Instead, without God, life is confusing. Uh, I find this amazing. This is one of the best. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord uses it, so it's probably the best word for it. Um, uh, the idea of someone unsaved, the Lord just calls them lost. He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's got to be the best descriptor of someone without Jesus Christ that I've ever seen. Say, what are they? They don't know where they are in relation to God. Right? Lost people, they think, oh, yeah, I, I believe God. Yeah. <laughs> they have no concept that God and them are not even close to the same page. They're, they have no idea where they are in relation to God. They don't know how to get to God. <laughs> they, they may want to get to him, but they have no idea how to get to him. And they are confused, turned around, unsure of where they stand. That's a lost man. That's life without God. Life without God is you don't know where you're going. You don't know where you want to go. You don't know how to get to where you're going. You don't even know where you are. You're just lost. You're just, well... You go in circles and you're not sure if you're seeing the same tree over and over again or if it's a new tree or what it is. You just don't know. You're just lost. That's the way the Christian gets when they get away from him. They may know that they're going to heaven for all of eternity, but they can't figure out how to restore a relationship. They get confused. They start making the worst decisions ever. Isn't that a life without God? Well, that's what idolatry brings. Idolatry brings a life without God. Idolatry brings divisions. It divides you from the one you're trying to have a relationship with, God. That's why he tells you that in all things he might have the preeminence. God needs to be preeminent. If he's not preeminent, you and I get into trouble because we put something else in the way and it becomes an idol and we start to worship that and it takes our, our glorification of God away. It takes us honoring God away. It takes us pleasing God and it moves it to something else because we want to bring that pleasure instead. In the New Testament, God goes ahead and he does the exact opposite of what he does at the Tower of Babel. Acts chapter 2. I'm not charismatic. You don't worry, I'm not going that direction. But Acts chapter 2, what does he do? Everybody there hears him in their own tongue. Now you say, 
well, obviously everybody, at, you know, you got the, you got only 11, by the way, uh, 11 apostles standing there and they all pr must be speaking in a different language and translating. That's not what it said. It says that every man heard in their own tongue. You go ahead and read Acts chapter 2 if you like. And by the way, there's more than 11 languages listed. There's more than 12 languages listed. Everybody hears it just in their own tongue. You say, what is that? That's really speaking in tongues right there. That is me talking in English and you hearing me in whatever your native tongue was. With no interpreter in the middle except God the Holy Spirit going ahead and changing it by the time it gets to your ears. That's the way that it works. And that's the way it was in Acts chapter 2. You read the text, that's what it says. And he goes ahead, they speak, and what do they hear? They hear it in their own tongue. And that's why they go, are these guys drunk? On new wine, are these guys, what are we doing here? This is crazy, we've never seen anything like this. And the Lord says, yeah, I'm trying to bring you into unity with me. Genesis chapter 11, you all tried to get in unity together without me. I'm trying to get you back in unity with me. And so everybody can hear it. Everybody can understand it. By the way, that's why you have a Bible in English, because that's the language of the world. Amazingly enough, and I won't get into this too far either, uh, but the truth is, uh, God goes ahead, Old Testament, Hebrew. I know you can go ahead and do all the things, all right, whatever. Um, all, little, all little pieces of Aramaic and so on, I get it. Uh, Old Testament, Hebrew. Why? Because the oracles were given to the Jews. It was for them. So it was translated into Hebrew. And he wrote it in Hebrew. But when you hit the New Testament, God's about to reach to an entire world. You know what he did? He put it in the language of the world of his day. And in the common man's language. He didn't use unseals. He used, you can get into all that later. Anyways, um, he used Koine Greek. He used, he used the common man's language. He didn't use the highbrow language. He used the common man's language. So that it would go to a world. It would be dispersed. As you get through the years, and it goes ahead and turns around and does all these things, uh, you, you know, it, it, goes into, it goes into Latin, it goes into German, it goes into, and he's expanding what he's doing. And then you get to a world today, and you know what you have? You have the Bible in English for an entire world. Because you know what the world wants? I mean, here in America, you've got to choose English or Spanish. In another world, you know what you get? English. We're the only weird one now. <laughs> you, go, you go around, you know what you get? Uh, what, what's your preferred language here in, here in America? You want to deal in commerce anywhere else, you know what you get? English. You get English. That's the world's language right now. And God preserved and he made it so that everybody in the world could get what he gave them. He wants to unite them. He wants, he's doing it on purpose. He's trying to bring everything back together. <laughs> In unity. That's why he wants a unified church. That's why he wants us to, how good and how pleasant it is that brethren dwell together in unity. I'm trying to decide how I'm going to finish this. Don't mind me. Ultimately, the unity that we have comes from one unifying peace, and that is Jesus Christ giving us the Holy Spirit and bearing witness with your spirit, and we go back and, and it makes it so that you and I can be on the exact same page. It unifies. When we follow the Holy Spirit, what do we get? We get unity. When are we in disunity? When we don't follow the Holy Spirit. When you and I want to do it our way, 
Only by pride cometh contention. <laughs> That's it. It's pride versus con brings in contention because you won't yield, you won't humble yourself to the Holy Spirit and the leading and guiding that he has. And whether you're proud against somebody else or you're just proud against God, it makes no difference. It's still pride and it will still bring contention. After Egypt and Assyria, Babylon becomes rebuilt. I'm going to get into just closing this up here, uh, history-wise. Uh, rebuilt, Nebuchadnezzar rebuilds, and he goes ahead and makes it a major empire again. Babylon uh, ultimately always, throughout the scriptures, symbolizes rebellion against God and idolatry. Religious confusion, works, religions, ultimately it's culmination you can go to revelation chapter 17 and 18 and you can read about mystery babylon the great and how it is built and what it does and why it does what it does and how it operates ultimately it's uh, a religion of works and worshiping the queen and that religious system one day ultimately will be destroyed for good babylon the great has fallen has fallen and so on and Revelation chapter 19, he comes back and he wipes it out. Uh, but it is a religion and a system that is going to go all the way out into the Antichrist reign. And it's what he's probably going to bring everybody under as, uh, as he goes ahead to establish his kingdom on the face of the earth against, against God and against Jesus Christ and against uh, what, what the Lord is doing. Uh, you and I will leave and he'll set that thing up and it'll go. And it'll unify once again. He'll try and unify an entire world against God. And so uh, that's, that's really what Babel is doing. That's really what the Tower of Babel was setting up. And God said, nope, I'm stopping that right there. And he allows it later. He allows it for his purposes. He chooses when that's going to come through. But it's going to come through. And he's going to let them. He's going to let the Antichrist go ahead and run that and come back in. And Nimrod will once again step in. That rebel will step in and it'll be the Antichrist that time. And he'll go ahead and bring it in and try and unify a world against God. And he'll, and he'll succeed. He'll succeed in unifying a world against God. And Jesus Christ comes back and takes it. And he wins. He always wins. There's no, there's no issue. He'll win. And uh, there's nothing anybody else is going to do about it. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your goodness. I pray you'd help us to uh, just go ahead and, Father, resign and go the way you want us to go. Help us, Father, to follow the leading and the guiding that you give us and the light of the scriptures. We pray we'd walk in the light. And, Lord, I pray you would help us to, just conform to the image of, of your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray you would bless the services today. We, we love you. We pray you would bless. Lord, if someone comes in today without the Savior, they wouldn't leave that way. They'd, they'd make today the day of salvation for them. They'd call upon Jesus Christ alone. We pray you would get the praise, the honor, and the glory for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take a break.